liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to a live stream edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. And today, given the economic environment, I only did 15 minutes of my opinion on things. Uh, I On yesterday's episode, I wanted to bring in an expert. This guy has been blowing my mind with his analysis. He's just stellar. Uh, his name's Jason. I don't know if his, pub, if his last name is public. I'll bring him in in a second. He can tell us if it is. Uh, but he has the YouTube channel Wall Street for Main Street, and it is phenomenal. Uh, his analysis is just just great, <laughs> like genuinely great. And uh, I don't know if he has an Austrian background, but it certainly feels as if he does. Anyways, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Expat Money Summit. And if this economy goes as bad as it possibly can, uh, you will definitely want to know about this. It's an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikkel Thorup from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, legally, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You will also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Trust me, I've been to Mexico recently, and it is nice. <laughs> I'm seriously considering it. Uh, register now for free, expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. And without further ado, let's bring in Jason. My man, what's going on? Hey, Clint. Thanks for having me on. We've been talking for a while now, so glad to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. You you sent me a bunch of DMs of like your your latest takes, and every time I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's got that oh, one right. By the way, we are really live. People are asking in the chat. We are live. Go ahead. Yep, I'm, I'm here. The system is so screwed up. The average American just doesn't understand. Um, you know, the, you listen to CNBC or you see the stuff in the business um, uh, on the Wall Street Journal, the business, it's spin, it's lies. The stuff out of the politicians is spin, it's lies, is constant. Uh, what the Fed says and does are two entirely different things. Yeah, well, that that's actually where I wanted to start off. You You had brought to my attention that there has been some secretive, significant bailouts that have been happening over the past couple of years, even prior to the lockdowns. Uh, could you give us a little rundown on that? Well, it actually started in 2008, 2009. So tens of trillions of dollars. And really, unfortunately, this is because of the derivatives market. So the over-the-counter derivatives market, if your listeners are not familiar with it, it never should have been created in the first place. This is a area where large banks, the portfolio managers at large banks, derivative specialists with two or three degrees and hedge funds and family office people and family offices are similar to hedge funds. If your listeners are not familiar with those, this is where they can borrow a bunch of money, either in the repo market or elsewhere, and bet on movements in currencies, movements in interest rates, movements in bonds. These are highly leveraged trades. The derivatives market since the 1970s and 1980s here in the United States, it has ballooned to around a quadrillion 
$1.8 in total derivatives. The largest portion of the derivatives market is in betting on interest rates and bonds and currencies. So, so does that mean a thousand trillions? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now Wall Street, the people on Wall Street, the bankers, the, the quote unquote derivatives experts, they go on CNBC and they say everything is uh, netted out. And that number is a lie. Well, then how come every couple of years, a large investment bank or last year we had Archegos or a couple of years before that, we had the 2019, we had the repo madness crisis where these large investment banks, whether, and this brings me back to all these bailouts. So these bailouts are almost always connected where the, it was the housing market, right? So in 2008, you had the housing market, but you had all the derivatives that were tied to the housing market. So you had all these derivatives that were tied to credit default swaps, mortgage-backed securities, um, interest rate bets, all these other things. And you have the banks and the banks love betting on these derivatives because the system is rigged for these large banks in their favor, and the system has changed for bank profits over the last uh, two or three decades, really, to where the banks make the majority of their profits not actually lending. So the old way of banking would be they would borrow money from the Fed at maybe a higher interest rate, they would take a spread, and then they would loan it out to you if you had a small business or consumer loans, stuff like that. That's the normal way of banking. Well. Your listeners really need to think of the large banks here in the United States and the European banks copy them because the European bank, they have the offshore euro dollar market, which is tens of trillions too, which is um, borrowing as well, although there's uh, foreign corporations doing euro dollar for cross-border transactions. Anyway, so large banks, the majority of their profits now here in the United States are not from normal loans. So their billions of dollars per year in profits are actually from like hedge fund trades. So if they, they don't even really, at this point, Clint, they don't even really need money um, from depositors because they have fractional reserve banking. If they blow, if the banks blow up, the Fed will cover, will put more reserves into their account, like Monopoly money. We'll just add more reserves. So it's like the, it's like the banker, the dealer in Monopoly, where if you go bankrupt, you just get more money or you write it down, right? So the yeah. Fed just loads the banks with more reserves and then the banks take those reserves and they're used as collateral for all these different, either um, normally derivatives bets, because that's where the banks can make the most profits, other hedge fund bets, leverage bets on currencies, interest rates, bonds, other types of assets. And this brings me back to the bailouts. So in 2008, 2009, you had the real estate crisis, but the majority of the problems were all in the derivatives market. So yes, real estate prices crashed, but it was the trillions of dollars in credit default swaps, derivatives, all the garbage that AIG sold and that the banks and pension funds bought. The banks couldn't unload. The large banks could not dump any more of this stuff onto pension funds anymore. And they got caught holding the back. And then the Federal Reserve Bank had to create currency out of thin air. And we found this out from a one-time partial uh, audit that Ron Paul got. And you asked if I was libertarian Austrian school. Yes, very hardcore. I've interviewed yeah. Dr. Ron Paul about half a dozen times. I've interviewed Peter Schiff. I've interviewed a lot of Austrian school economists. I've read Austrian school books. I don't trust anything the government says or does at this point. I don't trust any government. <laughs> I, I knew I knew it was as accurate as your analysis was. I knew you had yeah, to have the Austrian I, background. Yeah, I, I am highly skeptical of any government economic data. I mean, I live in the I've lived in the Washington D.C. metro area for the last twenty plus years, and I I've had discussions with PhD economists here. And it's it's pretty awful. They're toxic. They yeah. live in a separate world. These people no, are true. grossly overpaid. <laughs> if they are wrong in their predictions, they don't get fired. You know, here in the real world, Clint, if we're not good at our jobs, 
we lose our jobs, we lose customers. If you're a government employee, if you're a PhD economist at a think tank or a consulting firm here in the DC metro area or New York City, or you work at the Federal Reserve Bank, if you're wrong about inflation or the money supply growth, you'll probably get promoted in a couple yeah. of years. You're probably, you're getting extra benefits if you stay on at work. Janet Yellen and her husband, I think, because she's worked so many different government jobs and professor jobs. She was uh, at the federal, uh, multiple positions of the different Federal Reserve Bank positions, San Francisco Fed. And then I think she moved to New York Fed and then she became Fed chairwoman. Now she's at the treasury. I think her and her husband combined have six different government pensions along with their academic pensions. And they're worth over $10 million. And this woman has been wrong on all of her predictions. <laughs> over I mean, the last if you hear, if you hear her talk, if you hear her talk today, you're just like, my God, my God, you were in charge of like, monetary policy essentially and, and she like, is and she is charging here's the scary part she's charging like these hedge funds and citadel she's charging them like two hundred fifty thousand four hundred thousand dollars per person per plate at a dinner to hear her speak and that's going in her pocket or in her foundation or whatever this is how mess the system is so corrupt and you know bad behavior corruption if you're in the right position you're rewarded no matter what but the, the bailouts clint and I, I kind of I was explaining things about bank profits and the derivatives market because of the size of the derivatives market. This is what your listeners have to understand because it's that size and the mainstream financial media, the derivatives experts don't want to talk about it. We are incredibly fragile. Yeah. So everything's over leveraged. All of the and what I mean by that is that all of these assets, a lot of them are held with leverage. So you have tons of hedge fund managers that leveraged up. Before the stock market started crashing, they were holding stocks on margin. They had leveraged bond trades. It was called the risk parity trade. They were front running the Federal Reserve Bank or the European Central Bank. They were taking out leverage. They were borrowing cheap because the Federal Reserve Bank and the European Central Bank wanted someone to buy this, these garbage bonds, right? These garbage European Union government bonds or junk bonds or other, other types of uh, garbage bonds. And they were offering these portfolio managers at investment banks and hedge funds really cheap interest rates to go and buy these bonds, leverage up their trades. But when these trades reversed, these hedge funds blew up. So they couldn't pay back their repo loans because they wanted even more leverage. So that brought us to the, so we had like over 29 trillion in bailouts in 2008, 2009. We found that out from the one-time partial audit from Ron Paul. We also found that out from a one-time uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit that Bloomberg News uh, got in 2011, I believe. They sued the Federal Reserve Bank. It was actually the one successful lawsuit against the Federal Reserve Bank, because if you sue the Federal Reserve Bank, normally you get nothing. But this mm -hmm. uh, this particular time, they get 30,000 documents and the Levy Institute actually went through a lot of them and found that the European Union, the European Central Bank and large European banks in 2009 got over nine trillion in bailouts. Um, so basically, the way the system is designed now, because of the derivatives market, if an asset market, so if currencies move the wrong way, if interest rates move the wrong way, so if the Fed keeps hiking interest rates, you're going to have banks blow up because of their derivatives bets, because they have they have over there's over. OK, the largest position in the derivatives market, Clint, is, are these things called interest rate swaps. And these are derivatives mm -hmm. contracts where one side of the trade, someone is betting that interest rates go down. And on the other side of the trade, someone's betting that interest rates go up in the past. The large investment banks were all betting that the Fed would manipulate interest rates down. Well, when you get, and this brings me back again to the bailouts, this is part of the, why the 2019 repo madness crisis happened, because we were in an interest rate hiking cycle back then. The Fed was reducing its official balance sheet. 
they were raising interest rates. Jerome Powell was raising interest rates and all of these banks. So you had uh, the Japanese investment bank, Nomura Securities, they're a Japanese investment bank. What is the Federal Reserve Bank doing bailing them out for $4 trillion? We found this out. Committing treason, I think. Well, this is this is how <laughs> this is how messed up the system is. So there's actually contractual. Unfortunately, I, I found this out through disclosures and also admissions from New York Federal Reserve Bank employees and speeches. They're proud of this, that they have these bailout secret bailout agreements that they have signed contracts with other G7 central banks to bail them out. So there's all these rules changes. And this is how you get away with it when the dollar is the world reserve currency and all these fiat currencies. But because of the derivatives market, all it takes is a move in asset prices in the wrong direction. And these derivatives every two to five years now potentially could blow up. And this is why your listeners see these things in the news where in 2019, you had the repo madness crisis. And then now with the disclosures that we found out since December, because of Dodd-Frank, maybe the one good thing about Dodd-Frank is the New York Fed has had to disclose some information about the mm -hmm. 2019 repo crisis. And we're getting some of these numbers and it's over, I think uh, in 2019 alone, it was over 20 trillion in bailouts to investment banks. In 2020, and then six to eight months later, we had another blow up because even more, um, you know, the pandemic shut everything down and the derivatives market blows up again. Now, all these derivatives don't blow up. What happens is you start having margin calls for these hedge funds, you start having margin calls in these derivatives positions for um, these investment banks and portfolio managers at, at the investment banks. And what the Fed does is the Fed just uh, gives out like a trillion or two trillion to make sure these margin calls don't create defaults. Because once one bank or hedge fund defaults on one contract, then it becomes all like the Lehman. derivatives blow up. Yep. Well, 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 not all the derivatives blow up. It's the banks blow up like Lehman Brothers. So the Fed. Right. The one lesson I think the Fed learned is they can't allow Lehman Brothers. <laughs> so like capitalism, right? The whole thing about capitalism and free markets is you have to have bankruptcies, you have to have failures, but the Fed changes the rules so often. They bail out their friends. They bail, they're picking winners and losers. Normally it's hedge funds, large corporations, and uh, you're funding the government and um, making sure the banks get bailouts or they get the banks get to borrow cheaply and do these leveraged hedge fund trades and make billions of dollars extra in profits. And then they're not... They're making it very hard for you and me as small business owners to actually grow our business and make a good living and offset inflation. Right. And that's why they've they've behaved in such a insane fashion is because risk no longer plays into their evaluation of any investments. It's it's extraordinarily dangerous. And as you said, for those that are just tuning in now, a, a quadrillion dollars in derivative bets that exist. And as you said, there is. Uh, they they always try and justify it saying, well, there's counterparties. So like there's going to be a, a flip side to these bets. But when you're talking, you know, more money than exists on earth, <laughs> how, how can you possibly have a, a counterparty that's going to make right on that bet if it, if it really goes hard against them? And I think the answer is they can't make right on it. Am I, am I correct in that assessment that it like these guys just simply don't have the capital to, to cover this up and they are going to rely on central banks to, to do so? It's not just other central banks. The only one that can do it is the Federal Reserve Bank. Because okay, so just the Fed. Wow. So if you were a an emerging market central bank and you try to print your currency like that, your currency would collapse pretty quickly. Sure. So the European Central Bank had an emergency meeting today. We're recording this on what Wednesday, June 15th. They had an emergency meeting today. My educated guess, because of the Fed rate hikes, and guess what? This goes back to what we were talking about with these large investment banks out of Europe 
back in 2020. And we found this out again through the New York Fed disclosures in 2020, a bunch of large European investment banks failed again. <laughs> they, they, the, the Fed was bailing out for trillions of dollars, at least two trillion to three trillion each, French European banks, some German, um, some, excuse me, French investment banks, uh, German investment banks. So when these banks were all like, they were betting, they had big bets, betting that the Fed was going to continue to manipulate interest rates lower. And then the Fed doesn't do that. Then the derivatives start blowing up and they start getting margin calls. But the, that's to your point there with the size of the derivatives market. It's way larger than global GDP and order, over an order of magnitude larger. So yeah. it makes no sense from a practical sense, reality sense, to have these derivatives markets other than for bank profits, because these things are so opaque. And then I, honestly, Clint, I don't even think the people at the Federal Reserve Bank understand most of the derivatives. They just wire, they just send a digital currency to the bank saying, here, here's a trillion to cover this so everything doesn't collapse. I think the Federal Reserve Bank, most of the people at the Federal Reserve Bank don't even understand the majority of the, deriv the derivatives. And a lot of people at the banks don't even understand this because some of the, the excuse me because some of the derivatives are that complex. A lot of bank employees don't. They have to hire people with like rocket scientists sometimes with PhDs. Uh, that's what happened with the mortgage-backed securities, and we have a lot of other similar stuff too. Yeah, and uh, mortgage-backed security is an example of a derivative contract, right? Yep. There's tons yeah. of other ones. There's tons of yeah. Them. Well, I, I just and, want well, for, the Fed, for the for the listeners that aren't uh, you know super up to pace with you know financial lingo and things like that i just want them to understand that basically what a derivative contract is is a it's a second tier so it's like it's it's taking like in the case of mortgage-backed securities it's taking these collateralized loans which are uh you know secured by the real estate so people lend out real uh, lend out money for real estate and then there's secondary bets where they bundle up these loans and then they allow for trading on trading of those of the bundles of the loans and it's right. it gets to a point where and then it gets lower than that and lower than that and then they that's where you get the moody's and the standard and poor's ratings where they come in and they they say okay this this tranche is worth or is triple a rated so you're going to get a less return and then it goes boom 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 and they just keep lowering it lowering it down on the ratings in truth almost all of the assets are rated higher than they should be um, and it's all predicated on hyper low interest rates that they believe that the Fed is going to maintain. And they and they had some justification in their defense that because of the national debt in this country, we had to assume that they that they wouldn't hike interest rates, because if they raise them much, then our national debt becomes unsustainable and the you know the government can't afford to continue to operate. So why I, I guess the the whole bet was that MMT was correct and that inflation was never going to happen. And that's why we were going to have hyper low interest rates forever, a la Japan for the past 30 years. Was that the thesis on, on wall street or what, what do you think? I don't think anyone really other than like, well, so the, the supply side economics has been around for decades and that's not MMT. That was a justification that deficits don't matter, that the government spending is good for GDP. I mean, Murray Rothbard said decades ago before he passed away, he said the government spending should be subtracted from GDP, that it should not count positively towards GDP. But if you look right. at the GDP, the GDP numbers are fake. The inflation data is fake. They can constantly change the formulas. They move the goalposts all the time. The rules are changed. So when your listeners look at the jobs numbers or inflation or GDP here in the United States, it's economic propaganda. I call the oh, yeah. CPI, I, I call the consumer price index now the changing propaganda index because they can <laughs> literally 
yeah, or, or CP Lite. They can change it as much as they want to make it look like what they want. And then um, even the official government CPI, they don't even use that number in the GDP. So they're, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to take that CPI number and use that to reduce the GDP down and say that the inflation rate is hurting the GDP, but they don't even use that. They use something called the deflator. So that when you look at the GDP numbers, it's not even using their phony government consumer price index number because that's too high. And that would make their numbers. So the average, the average person doesn't understand all the games that are played no, by PhD no. economists and bureaucrats. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough, uh, especially with, with, Fed action, you know, as you said, if it weren't for those audits and, you know, disclosure requirements that that they basically had to sue for, we would have probably never known. And and it's just how do you possibly as you know, I was a money manager. That's what I did for over a decade. And how can I not knowing what the most important thing that exists in the economy, which is the price of money, interest rates and the quantity of money, the you know, the actual uh, I guess it's I don't know, M2 or whatever. Um, I. If I don't know that information, I am just throwing a dart at a board when I'm when I'm deciding whether or not I should be continuing to lend out capital into the real estate market. It 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 really makes it so that it is impossible in my in my experience. But maybe you know if you're an insider, you can still with uh, you know keeping your fiduciary responsibility in mind, you can still manage money and not jeopardize people's you know savings and retirements. But from my from my vantage point, I was not able to get enough information to feel as if I was able to continue to lend. Um, do you think that the people that are continuing to manage money in this environment are in in some ways, if they're not being fully open about what we're talking about right now, that they're not honoring their fiduciary responsibility? Because it sure feels like it to me. Well, I think a lot of people um, in the mainstream money management business, mainstream financial media who work on Wall Street, mainstream money managers, you cannot publicly criticize the Fed heavily. I mean, I, mm. I was blacklisted a long time ago from getting normal jobs in the financial industry for heavily criticizing the Federal Reserve Bank because of all wow. the stuff that's out there on social media. You cannot go out there and say the Federal Reserve Bank is destroying the economy. The Federal Reserve Bank is lying about inflation. The Federal Reserve Bank created, I mean, there was tons of people um, that make way more money than I do and are deflationistas. They were telling me for the last 2020, 2021, that all the money supply that the Fed was creating, there wouldn't be any inflation. <laughs> they, they were calling me. I was getting just just trolled and harassed nonstop by blue checkmark people on Twitter about how there wouldn't be any inflation in 2020 and 2021. While I was watching the Fed just announce all this stuff and watching the money supply rate grow, and it was obvious there was going to be some uh, stagflation at the at the best case scenario. And then you just look at the supply side problem. The economy is not producing nearly as many goods as the currency that was created. So you have right. all this extra currency chasing chasing less fewer goods. goods. Yes, chasing yeah. pure goods. And in the case of actual commodities for things like food and energy, uh, base metals long term, these things are even worse because to, to bring on new supply for an oil well, to bring on a liquefied natural gas project, to start growing food supply enormously, to uh, build a new base metal mine, a copper mine, or one of these large scale base metal mines, it takes a lot of capital investment and it takes years. So if commodity prices, and they were super low, and a lot of supply came offline in 2020, commodities were in a bear market, a lot of them, for many, many years. And then you had all this extra currency because the governments were bailing people out, and then they were handing people stimmy checks. Yep. They're giving people stimmy checks to go buy things because the narrative here in the United States is that if the consumer spends currency, 
that they don't have or the government hands and checks, and that's good for the economy. But the economy wasn't creating goods. So it was, <laughs> it was obvious in hindsight. Now, I was predicting this in 2020, that we we're going to have at the best case scenario, much, much worse stagflation. Yeah. Well, I, I had I was kind of in the deflation camp to some extent, simply because I thought that they wouldn't bail out the consumer how they did. You know, I, I really didn't think that they would just helicopter money and they wouldn't have you know unemployment insurance that was eternal and they wouldn't sh ship seven trillion dollars in 2020 to uh, big banks and things of that nature. I, I just didn't I didn't think that when the lockdowns were announced, I really didn't believe that they would do this because as anyone with any Austrian background knows, you can't, <laughs> you can't well, have, you can't have supply just be crushed with these lockdowns and then flood the, flood the zone with, with, you know, fake, fake cash. It's like, it just, it just seems it, from our perspective, it seems as if it was intentional that they were actually like, this was the, the goal. And it doesn't make any sense that it would be the goal. So it just has to be ignorance that we always have this debate, malevolence versus ignorance. Uh, it sounds as if you think it's just ignorance. Is that correct? No, I think it's also bad policy, too. There's people okay. that that have no idea that, um, well, if you're a politician here in D.C., you don't. Yeah, well, I don't think they know it. <laughs> well, they will they, they will vote for spending packages. That's my point. So they're going right. to vote. They're going to vote for immediate spending packages. No one in Congress, both political parties really wants to cut back. So Republicans say they want to cut back. But guess what? Every time but there's a new war. The military industrial complex gets an extra 40 billion or, or there's new upgrades to be made for bombs or tanks or planes. This is just how the system. So the narrative for Republicans is that, oh, they're small government, oh, they're pro-capitalism, except for foreign policy, except for military industrial complex spending. And that's where the majority of the jobs directly and indirectly here in the D.C. metro area. I don't know if you've been here, Clint. Yeah. Almost all of the jobs, a very high percentage, lots of the small businesses here directly and indirectly tied to the Pentagon spending and military industrial complex spending here in the DC metro area. If you work uh, these large consulting companies, and there's a lot of them now here in the DC metro area, like um, Accenture, Booz Allen Hamilton, Deloitte, I'm probably missing a couple. There's a few others. These are many billion dollar companies. They grossly overcharge the US federal government for services and consulting fees. A lot of their contracts are with the Pentagon and military industrial complex companies. So the, the spending, my point, my point, though, is that a lot of people don't care about the U.S. national debt because the debt's never going to be paid off. And if they're a politician or a bureaucrat here or a lobbyist here in the D.C. metro area and they can either get rich quick or get richer and they're buying inflation hedges. I thought there's people here in the D.C. metro area, Clint, every time Bitcoin has crashed for the last six to seven years, they buy a lot. of. It, OK, mm. they're buying real estate. They're buying. Uh, commodities place. Now, publicly, they might not admit this, but every time there is a crash in hard assets, they're not stupid. They're seeing the inflation. They're seeing the stagflation. But their jobs, their their main income source is based on big government, is based on the cancel on effect, is based on the Federal Reserve Bank subsidizing everything, growing the money supply, doing bailouts, and funding everything with fiat currencies. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get your, your prediction on whether or not the Federal Reserve follows through with these promised additional half-point hikes basically every meeting for the remainder of this year. Uh, but before I do, I want to thank our other sponsor for tonight, which is CareerHackers.com. If you are one of the people that got a pink slip this week, and I know there's a lot of you out there, unfortunately, um, 
this is this is your starting place. If you want to become a better job applicant and if you want to try and go get that job of your dreams, well, this economy is still still hanging on. It's still hanging on, but I don't think it's going to last much longer. I would highly recommend you go and sign up at careerhackers.com to the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. It's free, costs you nothing, gives you some information on how to stand out in this increasingly tight job market because for the longest time it hasn't been very tight, but uh, I think it's going to get tight here soon. Uh, so yeah, careerhackers.com. And we're back with Jason. Um, so do you think that the Fed has the the chutzpah, the will to follow through with these interest rate hikes? I'll give you my prediction first. I think that once they get to about a 3% Fed funds rate, so many derivatives contracts and everything else is going to be blowing up that's going to get basically called up by all the banks and say, hey, we're about to die and you have to stop. Is that is that a fair assessment as to what how you think this plays out or are they really going to fight to save the dollar? Well, they want the dollar weaker. They just don't want people. So the dollar is actually rallying now. If you look at the dollar index, so I, I'm not a fan of any fiat currency. The, sure. the dollar is actually rallying against other fiat currencies. Now in the dollar index, that's against the euro and against Japan. That's the majority. So Japan's getting hurt with high commodity prices. They're not running the large trade surpluses. They, they have to import an enormous amount of gasoline and oil and raw materials for their economy. And then they're supposed to produce finished goods and export those. And that's how their economy is supposed to work, getting filled with high commodity prices. But the you're right, though, that if the Fed does keep increasing interest rates, and they may, but they will break more and more things. They will break the average American who has a mortgage. They will break people that are paying a much higher rent. I mean, I'm seeing people post on social media, GoFundMes for, to cover their rent because their roommates left and they can't, they're about to get evicted. So we're starting to see the um, really bad things about inflation now, two years of bad stagflation, double digit stagflation now hit the economy because uh, lots of people, their mortgage payments are up enormously, their rent is up enormously, their food costs, they're getting killed with higher food costs, entry inflation, gasoline prices are up enormously, diesel prices are up enormously. The next shoe to drop for people's bills, um, you know, I wish I had good news. Unfortunately, it's gonna be much higher electricity prices for people because the natural gas price here in the US over the last uh, two years, and I was predicting this when the natural gas price crashed and all that supply came offline in early 2020, that we're gonna have a big natural gas bull market in rally. So the natural gas prices are up over 3X what they were uh, two years ago. And the US is exporting more of it while well, there was a fire briefly with a liquefied natural gas uh, export facility. So this brings us back to deflation. We can have deflation for brief periods of time where the money supply drops and asset prices fall and consumer prices fall for maybe brief, but it's so painful with the level of debt, the amount of derivatives, asset prices falling, what the uh, your listeners don't understand, and you have to study financial history, is actually the in a deflationary period, the tax revenues fall, and government is still growing. Government's spending more, so government is not going to cut back. So then, who's going to buy these treasuries? Foreign, foreign, um, foreign central banks, foreign governments are buying a lot less treasuries, almost zero, compared to what they were 10, 15 years ago. Right. Uh, Russia, China, Japan—they're not—they're not buying anywhere near the U.S. treasuries. They're or zero. So you're not having the foreigners subsidize the growth of the government. The Fed will have to buy more. The Fed will also, if we do have, uh, in my opinion, we already have a recession. Okay. The yeah, official government statistics are not going to come out and say a recession immediately. It's in the government's best interest to not come out and say that because then businesses start firing more. 
Um, normally in a recession, that means people start um, applying for more social programs and government benefits. So in a recession or a depression, you have government tax revenues, and these are income tax revenues, these are capital gains tax revenues on falling asset prices, stocks, bonds, crypto, all these things in a deflationary environment, bear market or deflationary, uh, doesn't um, with a bear market doesn't always have to be deflationary because in this case, we had inflation cause a lot of the problems in the real economy. After asset price inflation, we had enormous amounts of stagflation in the real economy cause all these problems with the consumer. And then you have uh, capital gains tax revenues, which I think I just mentioned a second ago. And then you have uh, at the state and local government level, Clint, you have falling tax revenues for sales tax. The consumer then, because all their necessities like food, rent, gasoline, diesel, electricity bills, uh, mortgage payments, if all those bills are going up, the consumer is not going to be shopping as much. The consumer is not going to be going out and eating at restaurants or or ordering delivery. So then that hurts the sales tax revenues for state and local governments. And then they're in the hole. And then if real estate prices fall, and let's say real estate prices fall for right. six months or more, then- Property taxes get reassessed. Bingo, bingo. Yeah. Property taxes are then at risk. And property taxes over the last 10, 15, 20 years, because of the real estate bubble and the Fed has, the a specific goal I would argue, has been inflating asset prices for decades, and we only had a bear market in real estate in the U.S. from about 2007 to 2012, 2013. And then real estate prices started taking off again. Right. If property taxes fall, too, then the state and local governments, uh, this is why deflation in a democratic form of government, it just doesn't work, especially when government is so big, is so much of the economy. And both political parties here in D.C., they want to keep spending more. Well, and, and then and then you have if you don't have the the tax revenue because uh you know property tax decrease the property tax receipts decrease well then you start to have pen, state pensions blow up and then, and then you have people that aren't getting their retirement checks and then it's like game over at that point it becomes a vicious cycle but who's gonna who's gonna fund the government who's gonna buy the u.s treasuries then and there's only one buyer of last resort of u.s treasuries now they can change and this goes into my stagflate tax life thesis, which is kind of the middle ground between deflation, allowing um, bankruptcies, uh, deflation for long periods of time, and hyperinflation. And I view everything in between those two polar scenarios. I viewed it in, as a gauge with uh, hyperinflation on one side and deflation on the other. And everything in between are just different degrees of stagflation. So mm -hmm. all the Fed can do is move the needle like the evil Keebler elves. They can move this this pendulum back towards one side or another, if it gets too much towards deflation on one side or hyperinflation on the other, they can manipulate. They can say they're going to reduce the balance sheet. They can lower interest rates or raise interest rates. They're pulling all these levers, but they're actually, and in the short term, that might prevent one of those two things from getting worse. But in the long term, it's making things even worse. It's creating even more distortions, even more misallocation right. of capital. And then unfortunately, government is not learning any lessons. The politicians here in DC still want to spend more. And then the large corporations, the large banks, the hedge funds, they're getting bailouts. They're not learning anything. No one's going to prison. Yep. None, none, none of these, these a-holes that are gambling like crazy. And the system is designed for covert bailouts where profits for these large banks or hedge funds are privatized. And then the losses are subsidized by the Federal Reserve Bank, more so by like taxpayers and savers who are holding US dollars. It's just a recipe for disaster. Well, so, I have to I have to ask a, a quick question. Because there was twenty trillion dollars in bailouts in twenty nineteen, uh, as you stated earlier, is it is it possible? And twenty twenty. Yeah, is it well 
over 40 trillion in about eight months. Right. But I'm saying, is it possible that the lockdowns were a response to the economic turmoil that they that they wanted us to stay home for a while and basically reduce consumption and things like that? It, it just seems because the lockdowns were so out of the blue. And so it's such a novel concept to deal with the airborne pathogen by locking everybody in their house. It, it you you have to theorize like maybe maybe this was in response to something else is that at all feasible to you uh, i think there were other reasons excuse me i think there were other reasons i think like big pharma got got hidden bailouts and i think sure. the politicians were just some of them were just stupid and didn't okay. know what to do and they thought maybe if we shut everything down it won't spread but mm -hmm. now you have governments like china um and they're intentionally locking things down now to try to kill the demand side for commodities. Um, I have a lot of sources there. There's a lot of evidence. If you look on China YouTube channels where they're interviewing business owners in China, people on the ground in China, like China insights and other YouTube channels where their energy costs, there's food shortages. There's a, so uh, using the pandemic or virus spread as an excuse covers up the real problems that the government didn't uh, had bad crop shortages. There were droughts right. or famines. There, they didn't produce a harvest. The government, um, for some of these African countries, they didn't save enough. They didn't save enough currency, enough dollars. So, in case there was a higher food price, they couldn't afford to go import more food. You're seeing this in Africa now, where there's a 15, 20, 30 percent increase in staple crops like wheat or rice or other crops. And some of them, uh, excuse me, and some of them are up even more than that. And now you're having like Somalia going to richer countries and begging for food because the government did not plan to have extra capital in case the food price went up so they could afford to import more food. Well, Th this, there's just so. Hmm? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, th this seems so it, it seems as if you're predicting that they're going to just try and keep us in this window between hyperinflation and between deflation, just in the sweet spot of, you know, inflation running hot, but not being hyperinflation levels for an extended period of time to try and uh, get out from under the debt. It did like, that's not an, that's not a, that's not an exit plan. That's not an escape strategy. Well, that's just, it's just going to be excruciating for years if that's really what they intend to do. So actually they've gotten away with it for years because most Americans didn't even notice that there was stagflation and shrinkflation at lower levels for a long sure. time. This is something sure. I've been I've been covering this on my YouTube channel for many, many years. I've been talking about stagflate tax live. We've had stagflation, we've had shrinkflation. They were not at the uh over over 10%, 15, 16, 18%, sometimes even higher for certain for certain things. They were not at those levels per year in the past, but now mm -hmm. they are. And now more Americans are waking up. More Americans from either political party are starting to research inflation, starting to research stagflation. They're yeah. seeing their grocery bills. They're seeing their diesel prices, gasoline. They're they're starting to wake up. And when more people wake up, it affects voting. And then the politicians and the bureaucrats and the Federal Reserve Bank cannot get away with things like this as easily. So, so they have to pretend right now that they can fight inflation. But this brings us to stagflate tax lie, the lie component so while the Fed clint, even if the Fed is saying that they're going to raise interest rates and they might raise interest rates a couple more times, we'll see. I was wrong about how many times they would get away with raising interest rates. But the Fed, right, as of March of 2020, and there was a Bloomberg op-ed about this by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. He wrote about this, the legal changes. I didn't see anyone else write about this. He's a libertarian too. And he was talking about how now the um, through special legal rights from the U.S. Treasury, the Federal Reserve Bank now, similar to Enron, 
can create up these, excuse me, can create these off balance sheet special purpose vehicles. So right. basically the Fed can say, they can say officially that their balance sheet is going down. So they can say, we're raising interest rates. Our official balance sheet is going down. But the, the truth, the real fireworks now, Clint, is off balance sheet hidden in these special purpose vehicles. And we have people looking through the numbers of some of the Fed releases over the last uh, couple of weeks. And while the Fed was seeing their balance sheet was going down, they bought another $230 billion of mortgage-backed security um, with, with these people, some of these people starting to default on their mortgages. The Fed was buying this garbage, buying U.S. Treasuries, and hiding them off balance sheet and not counting them on their balance sheet. So this is currency created out of thin air with fiat currencies, the dollar is a world reserve currency, and then hidden, um, swapped, it was swapped for assets, which is what the deflation needs to say, but it's not really it's not really an asset swap because they created the currency out of thin air first and then swapped it for assets. <laughs> so Christ, so we, can, we can have deflation, but they cannot allow it for a long period of time because it's too painful. It, it, it would mean like the government would have to cut back it would mean asset prices falling. And then the Fed actually has to go in because at this point, foreigners aren't buying the treasuries and the national debt's still growing. So the, the Fed's enemy is tax revenues collapsing, the size of governments not, not uh, contracting. So they have to fund the government. And the Fed's enemy is math because you mentioned the national debt. I mean, we're, I, I haven't looked at the national debt clock today, but we're over 30 trillion. Yeah, it's, so it's close to 31. Yeah, so if we start going 3% interest rates on a lot of the U.S. Treasuries, on the yield curve on new Treasuries issued, all the Treasuries that have to be rolled over, which are, these, this is debt that's not paid off. This is debt that's extended out for longer periods. And the U.S. federal government, as I said earlier, no one here in D.C. believes that the debt's ever going to get paid. No one cares. That right. We won't talk about that publicly. MMT, the goal for MMT is, is really to just allow the government its justification to keep spending. So the MMT, it started, I mean, the, the deficits don't matter stuff started with Dick Cheney, right? He said that before, you have the supply side economics before that with Ronald Reagan. So the narrative is that Ronald Reagan was this great president, but he also grew the debt enormously with the yeah. Cold War spending. So the narrative is how great a president Ronald Reagan was. I mean, he spent enormously during the Cold War, the military spending increased. They ran the supply side economics. Dick Cheney copied a lot of that with uh, George W. Bush deficits don't matter. MMT is really just, and I would say it's more of a radical extension of this, giving government the justification it needs with PhD economists to say that this is actually good for the economy, the government spending more. And it won't cause inflation because according to MMT, if there is too much inflation, the government could just tax us. Right. That'll stop the inflation. <laughs> yeah, but 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 we know we know that that's that's not actually true because there is a breaking point when it comes to taxation where if you increase it aggressively enough and high enough that eventually tax fraud just becomes ever ever present. Um, this, I mean, this you're you're absolutely right though about how they're they're just using PhDs to stamp these terrible economic policies with like you know even uh, Biden in like I think it was November of 2021. He comes out and he says, you know, we have 18 Nobel laureate economists that say that there's going to be no inflation with my my Green New Deal plan. And it's like, well, yeah, that, let's see how that worked out. But this is part of the technocracy that we now live in, where they just believe that they have they have knowledge that breaks all, uh, you know, semblance. They're liars. Of, no, they're, <laughs> they're, 
they're, they are liars, liars, but they're, some of the some of them I think girls. they're stealing as much as they. Uh, tr trust me, I've had off the record conversations with bank lobbyists <laughs> here in the DC metro area. They're stealing as much as they can before everything burns. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that's the the question. Then is it does seem as if it's almost inevitable that everything burns, and you know from. From my vantage point, I'm just most concerned about my audience, myself, my family, and in, in trying to weather this thing. I two questions for you. One is the ultimate end game that they roll out central bank digital currencies so that they can because then if you have a central bank digital currency, you really can't dodge taxes. If your money is all in the CBDC, yeah. they can just absorb it from your account. There's nothing you can do about it. I think that would be basically the only way that they could actually make MMT work is if they were just able to confiscate. 90% of your, your, your money. Um, so one, is that the ultimate play here as the, as the game kind of unwinds and two, how much time do you think we have before it, for me, it seems as if inflation becomes an inevitability with, I mean, I, I think that we will have a deflationary bust here uh, temporarily because as the fed hikes interest rates, you'll have cascading defaults in the, the debt um, arena. But after that, I think that the hyperinflation will get totally out of hand because whether or not the Fed is actually reporting on the bailouts that they're doing, the economy still senses it. You know, like that we don't have to know it if the if the money is going into bailout all of this bad debt by the trillions. Uh, eventually, inflation is going to be be a problem regardless. So it seems to me as if ultimately hyperinflation, the death of the dollar, is the end of this thing. Is that is that how you see it playing out? So you talked about, uh, you asked a couple different things there. So central yeah, I bank threw a lot at you. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So central bank digital currencies. Yes, I think that is the end goal here. Uh, they want to track and tax every single transaction. Not only that, rabble browsers like you and me, if we're in the United States and we're public about criticizing the government and we tell people that the inflation numbers are fake, GDP numbers are fake, we're at risk of having our bank accounts and debit cards shut down or credit cards shut down. It, they may make it so we can't even buy food or groceries. I at agree. that point. So um, that's the danger of essentially as a libertarian, someone who likes free markets and little to no government. Uh, that is the danger because then you're giving government similar to the Chinese government you're, and the Chinese government monitors all economic transactions. So if you buy something in China that the Chinese government doesn't like, they ding your social credit score. And right. if you take too, too many hits on your social credit score, you might not be able to get on a plane or a train, do business travel inside China. You may not be able to buy food, so they they can really screw you over financially. In well, I, um, with I I think you're you're privy to this. There was basically a, a run on the bank in China. I, I don't remember which province it was, but there was a run on the bank in China over the past week, and the people that were waiting in line to get their money had their medical passes turned red. So basically, they had to they had to go home, or, or they would be arrested. But, I mean, they they are already but, using the social credit score. It's crazy. It's even worse than that. So they're doing that with currency, but also with food. So you have to have negative tests. You have to show negative tests, I think, in Shanghai just to be able to order a grocery delivery or go out and buy food. I yeah. mean, at some point, this is this is going to amount to riots, no? Well, I mean, they've already taken away the guns. Uh, people in China don't have rights. So That's they don't true. have rights. Yeah. Like here, there's no Second Amendment. There's no real free speech. I mean, people in the United States complain about certain things, but compared to a lot of other countries, I mean, we still have it pretty good. Yeah, we have bad stagflation here. Yeah, we didn't get the pipeline approved with Biden. Yeah, yeah, the energy policies. And this is something that I've been I've been interviewing a lot of experts the last couple months. I think pretty much all of them. And you're seeing this with a lot of people who would not normally buy 
investments in food, energy, base metal mining, you're seeing people that are either Democrats or green energy people. And they're saying, look, there's going to be, and they normally wouldn't buy these type of investments. And they're starting to buy exposure to companies admitting that there's going to be global food and energy problems for at least two to five years. I spoke to one hedge fund manager. He thinks it's going to last a decade. He thinks there's going to be global food and energy problems for a decade, but the Chinese government is covering up a lot of problems. So you have food shortages and other problems in China. Um, the cost of a lot of fresh vegetables and meat, those prices, if you can get certain items in China are sky high, they're up a lot. So as bad as things are here in the United States with food prices and shrinkflation, you have to look at it as a global perspective that things are even worse than a lot of these other countries. And But this brings us back to government policy. This is not a problem of capitalism or the free markets. This no. is bad. This is bad energy policy. And I would argue it's intentional. Bad energy policy. We're having bad energy policy, Clint, daily here in oh, the yeah. United States. We're having it seems like every day now there's new and uh, uh, crazier announcements, crazier and crazier announcements that the Biden administration, people in the Biden administration want ten dollar gallon gasoline before they leave office. Yeah. Oh, I, I think you're exactly right. And and I mean, they've they've talked about it openly on the campaign trail before he was I mean, before 81 million people cast their vote for him. He was telling he was telling people no new drilling on federal lands, no pipelines, no this, no that. And it's like and and even even a month ago, he was talking about how, um, you know, this transition is going to be painful. Like they know what they're doing. Uh, you know, Biden may not. But but they know that this is like this is an, ag an aggressive plan to get us off fossil fuels come hell or high water. And I just don't understand it because you still have massive amounts of pollution that are coming from India and China, which ultimately means that everything that we do here is irrelevant. If you're actually a, a true believer in this whole concept of, you know, anthropogenic global warming, I don't understand it. Like it, it just, it, it flatly doesn't make sense to me because it seems as if they are jeopardizing not just our currency, but our social cohesion to such an extent that like you could see guillotines, like you could see people absolutely, and because we are not disarmed in this country, and I don't understand what their out is here. Like, what is the fucking end game, man? I don't, I don't well, get. You're, it. you're seeing riots in the streets in other countries over electricity bills doubling and food riots. So you're seeing yeah. other countries first. You're not seeing it here in the U.S. yet. You're seeing bad stagflation here in the U.S. But again, it's it's even worse in other countries. But these bad energy policies. I mean, the average person doesn't. Uh, maybe doesn't have time to pay attention to all these things or doesn't understand. I mean, they're forcing more corn ethanol into your internal combustion engines. They're going to ruin your gap. They're going to ruin your uh, car's engine in the next faster. They're going to force yeah. you. They're going to ruin your car. If you have an older car, it's going to force it fast. It's going to ruin well, it. Not just that, but we're driving around on food that we should be eating. <laughs> you know? or, or, sell, or selling to Africa or other countries. So our farmers can then make a profit from selling the food and those countries can actually buy food. So this is arable land that where the food should actually be grown instead, it's going into very inefficient biodiesel. And then you have um, people in the Biden administration, this has been going on for over six weeks, they've been shipping strategic petroleum reserve oil and that's supposed to be kept here in the United States for an emergency. They're also sending gasoline and diesel to the European Union. So they're shipping and they've been lying about it. So the, there was articles out on the oilprice.com. There was a journalist and she was breaking this over the last six weeks. There's articles on this from a legitimate journalist, but no one in the mainstream financial media is covering it because then it makes the political regime look bad. And all the articles are spun about how important it is to transition to electric vehicles and green energy. But to generate electricity, I don't see a future generating electricity without nuclear power or natural gas. 
There, there's yeah. nothing really for baseload electricity generation. We're going to have to have natural gas to generate the electricity and nuclear power. Preach, brother. I know. Uh, that, I mean, that that's the other thing that makes no sense. It's like the, the one, quote unquote, green energy that would really help us migrate from fossil fuels would be nuclear. And that is verboten. It's like they they don't they won't even allow you to consider it. And I just it just seems as if it's well, like it's like a death cult. Like they're they, they going to drive us off the cliff no matter what we do or say. And it, I, I really bad. think that they, they are risking full on riots. And I know you keep saying that it's worse in other countries. And I grant you that. But Americans in particular have lived such comfy lives for the past 30 or 40 years. I just don't know if they I don't know if they're really ready for what an American population that doesn't have enough food to eat will do like i think it will get well, really crazy so first people's bills are going to keep going up and the stagflation and the higher costs they're going to really cripple people's standard of living because the only way to deal with that is to grow your income but that it's really difficult it requires a lot of work it requires a lot of extra work it requires a lot of extra knowledge and skills you have to work with the right business partners family or friends you have to trust them that they won't steal you uh, steal from you or screw you over or not do any work uh, or uh, be lazy and not do any work so to grow your income is very, very difficult. And that's how you beat stagflation and inflation. You have to grow your income to offset it. But of if course. the inflation, but if the inflation gets, or if there's no goods available. So if the inflation increases too much, like in Venezuela or Zimbabwe, you cannot grow your income to offset, to offset the inflation. Or in the case with the pandemic and all the shutdowns and bad policy from politicians, bureaucrats, regulators, they've messed up the supply chain. I, I speak to small business owners all the time. Their costs are going up like crazy. The government um, inflation data is not reflecting this. And they're still having problems, the supply chain problems that the politicians and bureaucrats promised us the last two years that they would help fix have not been fixed at all. In many cases, they're worse. Oh, this is so crazy, man. I am I am so nervous about what these next couple of years look like. Um, before, I, I know we're up, up against it time-wise, but before I get out of here, I would be remiss not to ask you about how the uh, the real estate market responds to these increasing interest rates. But before we do, I want to thank our last sponsor for tonight. Just hang on one minute. And that is y'all. YALiberty.org forward slash knock. So they are recruiting right now for election coordinators. And if you are one of the people that get laid off, I, I don't know why I have to keep tying it into you being laid off. I hope you're not one of those people. But if you are... If you're looking for a paid gig that's involved in politics that you could actually help with some of this insanity that we're talking about today, uh, election coordinators are the front lines for liberty on YAL, that's Young Americans for Liberty, endorsed deployments. Election coordinators will flood the district for an authentic liberty candidate through grassroots door knocking. This is not a volunteer position. This is an opportunity to dive headfirst into the political action world, serve as a real field staffer, meet lifelong friends, and travel the country. Each election coordinator will deploy in an assigned district, serving on location and meeting real people every day. Training will be conducted on site, and team members will work with a partner to achieve their goals. Election coordinators are provided up to $2,800 a month starting pay. Not bad. 100% free housing. Very, very good. And gas reimbursement, which is absolutely vital right now. They want to ensure that they have the best talent pool possible to elect pro-liberty candidates, and they are willing to do what it takes to ensure that they win. If you're ready for the experience, apply at yaliberty.org forward slash knock. That's K-N-O-C-K. And we are back one more time with Jason. I have to get your your read on the real estate market. I here's I'll give you my my prediction first. I think that they hike interest rates to about 3%, which means that 30-year mortgage rates probably get around 8%. And then you see 
really big problems. Um, and I think that if they don't relent, which they're promising that they won't, I think they will. But if they don't, you will see a repeat of 08, 09, maybe even worse, where the stock market, bonds, real estate, everything is just a bloodbath. Um, but I do think that they will relent and it will ultimately, we probably have a year left before you see real softening in the real estate market. Do you think it comes faster, slower? Am I totally off base? What's your read? I think we are going to have a real estate bust. Timing on it's going to be very difficult because the Fed is distorting things. So yeah, they might raise interest rates more. Well, the distortion is, yeah, the Fed might increase interest rates, but that's just one, one hand. The other hand, and this is the shell game that they're playing, the con game that they're running. The other hand is they're already buying more mortgage-backed securities. They never really stopped buying mortgage-backed securities the last like 10 years they were buying, but they're buying even more lately because I guess they anticipate that the real estate crisis is going to get worse. This is the problem when government is too big, when central banks are too big and too powerful. They shouldn't even exist at all, really, in my opinion, as a libertarian. <laughs> I know that's controversial. That'll get me fired. That will get me fired and blacklisted in the financial industry for saying that central banks don't exist. That shouldn't but exist. It, but it'll ensure it'll ensure that you have a home on Liberty Lockdown forever. So just keep that in mind. But the distortion. So, yeah, we're going to have I, uh, the average person. Um, who's listening to this, who's not affluent, or if even if you're a rental property owner and your tenants, like rent keeps increasing and you have to have higher mortgage payments, you're going to start getting hit soon. If you haven't already, I'm sure you have. I'm sure lots of people have already, but there's people are not going, they're not growing their incomes. So they're either going to burn through savings. They're going to start putting more stuff on the credit card. The savings rate is down enormously. And the consumer or the, the average American middle-class person here is getting screwed over because of stagflation and it's just eating away at their savings, their uh, standard of living and cost increases are too much. So yes, that's gonna hurt the real economy. It's hurting a lot of these consumer discretionary businesses. There's too much inventory. So they bought too much of some of these discretionary items. There's gonna be big sales temporarily. Will those clear out? And this is gonna be potentially a very big bust, but it's not going to last a long period of time. In 2008, we had we had a uh, full-on bust for about six to eight months. In 20, uh, 2020, it was six to eight weeks. And yeah. this is because the Federal Reserve, in a fiat currency system where the Federal Reserve Bank is basically the global, <laughs> the, the lender of last resort, the, uh, in charge of global bailouts for global governments, global central banks, uh, all these different central banks, all these different governments, foreign corporations, foreign investment banks, they can change the rules. They, uh, the, the banks can change in March of 2009. The average person doesn't know this. The banks were allowed to, and other corporations would have been in prison for this for accounting fraud. The banks were allowed to have their accounting changed. So the banks were allowed legalized accounting fraud by the FASB. I'll stay here for a little over an hour on the, on the timeline. Stay for a couple more minutes. The, the banks were allowed to. So, so this is my point, though, with stackflate tax lie that they can keep changing the rules. But yes, we can have deflation. Now, for your listeners out there, if they're investors, if you hold cash for a long period of time, if you hold U.S. dollars for a long period of time, say for five years, 10 years, you're going to be devalued. You're going to get the that purchasing power inflated away. However, and I've been writing about this for my paying customers, my patrons for since November, to raise cash, to expect something like this, because the Fed was signaling that they were going to raise interest rates and do all this, that they were willing to let asset prices fall. 
in the short term, if you have some cash, there will be some opportunities. Look what's, uh, if you bought the dip on every Bitcoin dip, you don't have any more cash to buy at the bottom if it does go lower. So exactly. this, is why, this is why you want 10, 15, 20%, maybe even a little bit more than that if you're, if you're, um, if you're planning on trying to buy the bottom some of these assets are going to go on sale. And I think like the best opportunities, in my opinion, are going to be for these commodity plays because this food and energy crisis, there are big supply side problems that are not even, even if oil were to get more than cut in half, even if we go back down briefly to, I don't know, 30, $40 a barrel oil for six months or a year, that's going to make the long-term supply, uh, su supply side problems for oil even worse. If natural gas crashes, that's going to make the long-term supply side problems for natural gas even worse. So there, um, same thing for uranium, for nuclear power. There's going to be opportunities in a lot of these commodities plays because the Fed can't print more barrels of oil. The Fed right. cannot print. Th these commodities will have value as long as you have um, some physical gold or silver or you're buying, um, well, physical gold or silver is just for savings, insurance and wealth preservation. I don't really view that as an investment, but you have, um, there's certain types of companies where even if oil prices do go to $200 a barrel and then they crash or $250 a barrel and then they crash, the mining companies, uh, the mining companies are very risky if oil prices do go that high, but there's gold exposure without having direct exposure to the mining companies. So there's opportunities and cash is a good optionality here because if that real estate does crash in 2008, 2009, there were very heavily discounted rental properties for a oh, brief yeah. window. Incredible. So were, I mean, in mo many markets were down 50%. That That's where I made, you know, the majority of my life-changing money was buying from 2008 through 2014. It was just an amazing time to be an investor. And I just and pray everyone, that people took our advice because I've been preaching the same thing for the past year plus. I've been saying, go to cash, go to cash, go to cash, go to cash. And as a libertarian, that's a tough argument because they go, well, aren't you predicting inflation? It's like, yeah, I am. But there's going to be a period where all these assets really eat shit if the Fed actually hikes rates, which they are promising to do. And you were contrarian in that regard because all of the all the sentiment, the social media posts, there was a lot of very negative, very bare sentiment about real estate during that time period from 2008 to 2013 or so, 2014. I'll never oh, yeah. buy real estate again. I lost I so much money. So, <laughs> when, so when Bitcoin, as a speculator, once you start seeing all those posts, all these people getting who bought Bitcoin on, on margin from their from Coinbase or these other brokerage accounts, or some of these um, commodities plays uh, crash and things get cheap again, that's something you want to monitor. You want to look at sentiment there. And then you want to go and find the businesses in these sectors that don't have, that aren't high cost producers. They're low cost producers. They don't have a ton of debt on the balance sheet that will survive maybe a short period of deflation or a bust. The smart companies in these time periods, they're going to buy assets for pennies on the dollar. And of course. in the future, once the Fed reverses course, the Fed's going to have to reverse course. It's math. The Fed's, there are, the, the government's not cutting back. And the Fed's going to have to buy those treasuries. <laughs> yep. yeah. The Fed's going to have to cap interest rates. Okay. So th th this, this is why I keep telling libertarians, like, if you understand this stuff, you have a competitive advantage in the in the investing market because you're you have one percent of knowledge. Like what we're talking about right now, the vast majority of money managers themselves don't understand what we're talking about right now. We have a competitive advantage, and very few libertarians take advantage of it. So I pray people are taking this stuff to heart right now. There will be a lot of opportunities. It's there's going to be a lot of volatility. Unfortunately, people want like easy answers. Of and, course. 
there are a lot. This isn't of, easy. <laughs> well, it's not easy when the governments and central banks change the rules all the time. So even if you're the smartest person in the room and you have the best access to information, you have a Bloomberg terminal, you subscribe to these hedge fund quality paid investment newsletters that are $20,000 a year or more, but you're not paying attention to the rules changes by these governments, your investments could be totally screwed over in a matter of, of months. Yeah. Well, and uh, one one final question before we get out of here. Um, the the real test for me on the real estate side will be does BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard and Goldman Sachs and all these big money managers do they stop acquiring these rental pro- properties in these big these big tranche buys that they've been doing where they buy a hundred or a thousand houses at a clip? What's your what's your thought there? Do you think that that the the whole World Economic Forum, you will own nothing and be happy. This is the yep. ultimate plan that they're going to continue to take Fed money and and buy up yep. every house that they can get their hands on. Or do they look at this and say, no more, we're not buying any more housing? Well, that was that actually is part of the plan now for the World Economic Forum over the last two years. It's changed a lot, but actually, real estate, the sentiment, and you talk when you were buying real estate, things were so bad. The right. Federal Reserve Bank was giving hedge funds, was giving private equity, was giving BlackRock and hedge funds almost basically free capital. They could borrow almost at zero and they could buy as much mortgage-backed securities, toxic garbage, rental properties as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So the Fed changed the rules. The Fed decided that they did not want a long-term real estate bust because, again, this goes back to property tax revenues. So if the Fed let a real estate bus go for more than three, four years back from 2008 to what, 2012, 2013, if they let it a bear market and low real estate prices keep going lower and prolonged out longer, if they didn't come in and didn't change the rules and didn't give um, all these uh, hedge funds and private equity and foreign pension funds easier access to buy these things, then the state and local governments wouldn't get the property tax revenues and then the Fed would have to bail them out. So, so that basically, it sounds like you're saying you think that BlackRock and these guys will continue to buy housing, assuming that the, well, the Fed is going to buy the mortgage-backed securities and, and buoy the market. So they, they may take a break. It really depends right. on what the Fed decides to do. So if the Fed is going to decide that, let's say there is a deflationary bust and the Fed changes rules and Fed, the Fed says, hey, large banks, hey, hedge funds, hey, family offices, here's more... Uh, cheap interest rates or free capital that the average small business or average American has no access to. But here's billions of dollars for you since we want asset price inflation and we don't want consumer price inflation or stagflation. We want asset price inflation because that's good for for the U.S. Treasury um, tax revenues at the federal government level, state and local tax, all these different tax revenues. And they say, we're going to change the rules and we want you buying this asset class. And here's a bunch of cheap, um, cheap debt or zero interest rate debt to boost the asset prices. And you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna have to pay a little bit of taxes on it, but your asset prices are gonna go up 50%, a couple hundred percent in five years. So this is the, my point though, with stack tax slide. They wanna, with the cancel on effect, with central banking and the power of the Federal Reserve with the dollar as the world reserve currency, they have gotten away with this for decades. The Fed's official policy was the wealth effect, which mm. as an Austrian school economist, libertarian, call, the Fed calling it the wealth effect, it was really the cancel on effect. <laughs> okay, any any anyone who's read who's watched video on Mises, read articles on Mises.org, knows about the cancel on effect. We've had a lot of the cancel on effect. A lot of it's come out of DC for decades now. Oh, where, of course. That's where why income inequality is so stark in this country, and that's why it's so 
irritating when they say that this is a product of capitalism. It's like, no, this is a product of central banking, which is essentially communism. You sons and of corruption. bitches. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and corruption. So the Fed and the big government here with corruption is picking out winners and losers. So if Biden does get, get before he leaves office for his one term, does get gasoline prices to $10 a gallon, there's tons of corrupt people here in the Washington, D.C. metro area. They have family and friends on board of directors, either board of directors with stock options, or they have family and friends running these green energy companies. And then they get unbidded contracts through friends of the Department of Energy. Um, the siphon, the unbidded contracts go directly. So it's like a, a cycle of corruption. It's a revolving door of corruption. It's a vicious cycle. Well, last question, and this is just for personal interest. How much time before we see a softening in the real estate market? Do you think that we have a year? Do you think that it's six months? I know this is a question that no investment advisor likes to uh, be asked, but do you have any idea how long this these current elevated prices stay steady? All real estate is local. So um, for certain areas, I'm hearing it's already softening. So it depends on certain markets, but certain markets, it's already softening. So um, I'll just give you the D.C. metro area since this is um, my best friend's a successful real estate agent here in the D.C. metro area, one of the top firms. And each week I check in with him and I ask him. So we went a couple months ago from literally homes would sell with no buyer protection, all cash bids. There would be 30 buyers, all cash bids between $100,000 and $400,000 over the asking price, no buyer protections too. So they're paying all cash, people didn't need a mortgage. And that's gone away. We're now down to under 10 in only like eight weeks. We're down to like under 10 all cash bids and they're looking credit checks. But those things are starting to come back. And this market is considered basically recession proof. Even in 2008, the D.C. metro area, now there were certain developments that were further away from D.C., but um, in general, the average real estate prices were only down about 8% during the 2008 financial crisis in this area. Incredible. So things are, it, and I'm sure things are even worse in other markets. So this area is considered um, basically recession-proof, this real right. estate market, but all the overpays of like $400,000 all cash and the property would sell with no buyer protections. Basically it's a teardown and people are paying 400,000 over the asking price in under a week. Those things are evaporating that's, quickly. Yeah, no, that's, that's gone. I, I agree with you. I, I personally think we have maybe six months before we see um, actual price declines just simply because it's going to take people a while. Like the, uh, a lot of people are still, they're looking at rent prices and they're saying, well, I'm not going to sell. Cause I'm not going to go rent because rent is so expensive. So I well, think as long, what's that? Well, here's the thing about rules changes. What if the, what if the U S federal government decides that they're going to allow rich foreigners, U S citizenship and to come, if they go and overpay for a property, you're right. So they, could, I, that... so they could just go and change the road. This is, um, and this is un unfair. It's uh, if you're a real estate investor, if you're a person looking to rent or buy your first home, none of this is fair. But this is the environment we live in now where the government is worried that if their tax revenues and this is why the Fed had to. The real reasons for quantitative easing are not what the Fed says. The real reasons for quantitative easing were to fund government, all levels of government, to make sure the government gets funded. They were for um, inflating asset prices and they were for covert bailouts of large banks, large corporations sure. and hedge funds. Those are the three main reasons for quantitative easing. OK, anything the Fed says or does otherwise is a freaking lie. So, so they will change the rules. They will change the rules. Um, however, they have to. Asset prices may stay low. There's going to be a window. 
where asset prices will stay low. And that's why your listeners want some cash. Yep. Okay. I think that's great advice, brother. Uh, you have you have made me both more entrenched and radicalized and also sad simultaneously. But <laughs> I, I think it's important that people have this information so that they can try and make the best decisions for their own lives. None of this was financial advice. This is strictly analysis based off of what we know as you know experts in this arena. Uh, but it is it is. I mean, as you said, it's almost impossible to make real predictions because we don't know what rule changes will be. We don't know how serious, uh, you know, the Fed is about Fed policy and interest rate hikes and if they'll actually stay the course on those promises. It's just you have to be nimble in this environment. And I hope that people will internalize some of this uh, very valuable information that Jason gave us today and make better decisions in your investment life moving forward. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. Absolutely. Go subscribe to Wall Street for Main Street. It is his channel. And in that he can, well, go ahead and tell people if there's anything else that they should know. Yeah, I'll just do a quick plug. Uh, I've been making YouTube videos interviewing over 500 experts like Peter Schiff, Dr. Ron Paul, um, many other experts on oil and natural gas, mining stocks, um, value investing, global macro hedge fund managers. I've covered a lot of, I was covering Bitcoin back in 2011 with Trace Meyer. So I, I've known Trace Meyer for Man. a very I've known Trace Meyer for a very long time before he ever bought his first Bitcoin and he wrote his book, uh, The Great Credit Contraction. So there's a lot of great interviews in the archives. There's almost 2,000 free videos on my YouTube channel. And uh, for, and then I have uh, more in-depth research and analysis behind the paywall with stocks and global macro research um, for undervalued commodities companies and global macro analysis there for patrons. That's only $5 a month right now. That is a steal. And how would they go to sign up for that? Patreon.com slash, uh, and then my company name, W-A-L-L-S-T-F-O-R-M-A-I-N-S-T. Yeah, I want people to have access to really good information. So I'm trying to make the average person there who doesn't have like $500,000 uh, to go uh, sign up for a oil and natural gas hedge fund as a minimum buy-in. They have some access to some really quality information. I was writing articles about the oil market for the last like 12 months telling people that OPEC and OPEC plus that they were not increasing production, even though they were telling everyone they were, and that we we're going to have oil problems um, long before the Ukraine political stuff forced the oil prices even higher. So the, the problems that politicians are seeing are normally lies, and but they do distort the free market and they do blame capitalism and then they make things worse for regular people like you and me. Yeah, you ain't lying. And uh, as you guys can tell after this last, what's it? 75 minutes of conversation. Jason is brilliant. And to get his kind of, you know, stock picks and, and uh, advice for five bucks a month is an unbelievable steal. So I hope people will go support him. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I will be doing an AMA once I get back from Porkfest. And uh, that's for any of the supporting members on my locals. So libertylockdown.locals.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. It was an amazing conversation. You're welcome. And if you want me back on, just let me know. All right. We'll do it regularly. Thank you so much. I just wanted to let you guys know before I get out of here that I just got booked to do a live podcast event with uh, Reed Coverdale and Lions of Liberty, it looks like, tentatively, at YAL Revolution. That's Young Americans for Liberty Revolution, which will be August 4th through August 6th in Orlando. If anybody is local or if you want to make the trek, it's, uh, it's going to be a hell of an event. I know a bunch of the guest speakers that are top secret at this point, but trust me, you are not going to want to miss it. I will see you guys soon. I am off to Pork Fest, and I cannot wait to meet hundreds of you. I'm sure will be there. It's going to be an amazing experience 
Thank you guys, as always, for the support. I love you so very much. Have a good one. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you probably wonder what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe